Let me just get comfortable here. Make sure uh, I'm not fussing around with this too much. Okay. If you use that as the cold open, I'll kill you. I might. Fuck I don't you. know. Might happen now. Welcome to episode 12. Episode 12. Wanted by none. 12 episodes. Wow. The 12th presentation of Wanted by None. Indeed it is. Who'd have thought? Uh, today. Today. I think we decided we were going to talk about uh, Quentin Tarantino. We did. And by we, I mean I was like, I think we should do it. <laughs> ah. I agree. I mean, we 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 could have. There's a million things we could talk about, right? Like we could do Marvel for the 88th time, or right. blah 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 blah. But I, you know, I just, eh, why? Yeah, I mean, Marvel ain't going away. We'll have plenty of chances to talk about. You know what Comic Con did remind me of, though. Sure. Uh, our fifth episode, which well, was yeah, which was, was our live episode where live we covered Comic Con any given Tuesday. Yeah, that's right. It was fun. I'm glad we did it. We could have done a. An excellent episode. Look, here's my Comic-Con takeaway for Marvel. They're doing more movies. <laughs> this wow. Is, everybody sit down. This is this is a piping, scalding hot take. They're doing, <laughs> they're doing more movies. That is going to be more... They are going to be more diverse. And they're going to show a broader range of people than perhaps they've done in the past. And if you don't have a Disney Plus subscription... I don't know how you're going to keep up. So that's kind of my Comic-Con takeaway from Marvel is, you know, they're doing a ton of movies. They're doing a ton of Disney Plus shows. Yeah, I mean, yeah, kind of. Get ready. That's that's it. So we'll talk about that some other time. My other takeaway is they didn't announce anything I wasn't aware of except for Blade. Yeah, that really caught me off guard. Blade was new. (laughs) I was pretty... I'm pretty excited for that. I used to love... I'm intrigued. I mean, I know they... You can, you know, quibble with the merits of those movies, but I enjoyed those when mm. I was younger. So. Yeah, the first Blade movie is excellent. I think, yeah. I mean, Wesley Snipes. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, they got an Academy Award winning actor. They got, um, you know, Mursal Ali. And yeah. I, I mean, it's going to be great. I mean, should be pretty good. Sure. Why not? I mean, the Marvel thing, it just, they just keep rolling onwards. Good for them. You know, I'm looking forward to Star Trek. The Picard Star Trek series. That's my other Comic-Con takeaway mm. before we jump into Tarantino. I'm really looking forward to Picard uh, in 2020. That's fair. I probably won't watch it because I think it's an all-access thing, It right? is. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do it. I, um, I got uh, CBS all-access mm-hmm. and I've been um, knocking out uh, Discovery, Star Trek Discovery, which yep. I really enjoy. It's, it's not bad. It's a really enjoyable, really enjoyable show. Um, yeah, it's... it's it's not bad. Uh, you know, I'm excited. And really, Star Trek works best on TV. 
I was thinking about this the yeah. other day. They work really well with a TV model. Like, why fuck around with the movie? Like, they've never The movies gotten, seem kind of hit or miss. They've gotten the movie right maybe three or four times out of the 13 they've made or whatever. Like, Rathacon yeah, but- is good. Voyage Home is good. Undiscovered Country is underrated. First Contact is good. And the first JJ movie are good. Everything else... I mean, Star Trek The Motion Picture is just boring, boring, boring. I mean, hey, you can't all be winners. <laughs> Apparently it's not. It's floors of freight. Star Trek Three is really just, you know... Uh, probably of the odd-numbered original cast Star Trek films, Star Trek Three is probably the least egregious. Yeah. Star Trek Five is terrible. Right. Um, Star Trek Generations stunk. Uh, Insurrection stunk. Nemesis stunk. Sad to say, I wasted money on all of those. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. Cause that actually, that's a good tie-in because uh, yes, Tarantino's looking at directing one of those movies. Yeah, we'll we'll get there. I'm sure. If it ever happens, who knows? But. Yeah. But uh, that was my, my other Comic-Con takeaways. I'm looking forward to some of the Star Trek stuff they've got coming on All Access. And I really feel like Star Trek works well as a TV show. And in this day and age, that's not an insult. There's money in them, Thar Hills. I know, because uh, CBS has been pulled out of my DirecTV lineup for the I past heard. week and a half. And I see, unlike everybody else, you have not jumped back into to All Access. No, because that's what they want you to do. I know. I'm already paying for it through DirecTV, and then they want me to add all the extra five, six bucks or whatever. I'll wait it out. I have an antenna. Yeah. So I can get local channels. Oh, so you can get Channel 4. You're yeah, fine. That's, that's all I really need, because the rest of the news channels around here are garbage. And I mean, also, too, it's it's August. It's not the fall. Like, you don't need it, need it yet. Yeah. I mean, a couple weeks, maybe. Mm. Yeah, once you we know. get into September and the show starts. Yeah, I'm looking at football season. It's going to be a deal breaker for me. I'm going to have to... Yeah. But again, the antenna, I'll be fine. Yeah, if you have the antenna, then you should be just fine. They can quabble all they want. I mean, you're getting Channel 4, so you'll get CBS Pro. That's it. There you go, then. Channel 4 in Boston for... Channel 4. WBZ. WBZ CBS 4 in in Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah, you'll get your Patriots games. But I mean, they have a few Sunday night games on NBC. They'll have... I think they have a Monday night game or two. I'm sure. They probably have a Thursday night game. I haven't really looked at their full schedule. I mean, the first game is Thursday, which is, blows my mind. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, the Hall of Fame game was this week, because the Hall of Fame induction is this weekend, and then Thursday, this coming Thursday, um, August 8th, is their first preseason game. Which that's is nuts. just mind-blowing that we're at preseason already. It's insane. So, uh, yeah, the meat of why we're here is a director that I think Sean... Certainly, Sean and I think are is one of the great directors alive today. It would be Quentin Tarantino. Hopefully, he's hopefully he's one of your favorites too. I mean, he's done. It's mind blowing to think he's been around for thirty years, give or take, and he's done nine movies. I mean, and if you count the Grindhouse thing he did with Robert Rodriguez, he's done ten. Sure. I mean, ten in thirty years. It doesn't sound like a long career, but he's just he's been around. He's just he's been in the zeitgeist for so long i mean yeah. besides the movies he directed er he directed csi yeah he was on csi right yeah <laughs> i uh, think he was in alias yeah he's just been around i mean for me since about 1994 pulp fiction was the first movie of his i saw same that was my first movie i saw i saw it on video 
and then I saw Reservoir Dogs. So I guess I saw it out of order, but I think that's kind of how most people, not that there's an order to it, but I think that's probably how most people did it. Also kind of on brand for Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, his, uh, yeah. his, his non-linear storylines and yeah, all I that. I mean, there's no connective tissue there's really no connective between tissue. the two. Pulp but, Fiction is probably, like like you said, it, my first foray into Quentin Tarantino and yep. probably still today my favorite Tarantino flick. I was thinking about that because I had a feeling we might rind, r- r- find our way to this. Uh, I mean, it's up there for me. Yeah. You know, it was like a lightning bolt. I, I mean, I, I don't know that I've ever seen a movie. I don't think I've ever seen... No. Especially at the time I saw... I mean, when it came out... I, I mean, I, I was, was in, four. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was in high school, so, so the age uh, gap is real. So I didn't see it until a little bit later, but at that point, I hadn't really seen all that much like it. No, uh, I still haven't. I mean, I, it, that's been something that I've I've never seen before or since. Like, literally, it was like a like it was a shot of adrenaline. Pardon the pun for Pulp Fiction, but I mean, well. Watching it had an electricity to it that I don't remember from a movie before or since. It felt different. It felt new. Mm. It felt interesting. Doesn't it also kind of exemplify the style of Quentin Tarantino? Yeah, it t- kind of tells you everything you need to know about like, him. Like all of the all of the tropes are there in that movie. Yeah. He can be violent. He can be cursed. E. The soundtrack is eclectic and strange, but magnificent. <laughs> yeah. yeah dialogue is yeah rampant. the rapid dialogue but of mundane topics between yeah it's like a subtle humor like you wouldn't you know what i mean like the jules vincent stuff is just i mean they're just having average everyday conversations <laughs> it's, and they're yeah, criminals it's so great um and great performances from people you haven't seen in a while john travolta yeah um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a performance you haven't seen from a person yet bruce willis Yep. Who was big giant movie star. And then I mean, at least for me, people I had not heard of at that point. Samuel L. Jackson, Vig Rames, Uma Thurman. You yeah. know, I'd never seen Uma Thurman before. Yeah. I had heard of Samuel L. Jackson, but I had never seen him before. Yeah. Tim Roth I mean Tim Roth, I had never seen Tim Roth, yeah. Tim because I hadn't seen Reservoir Dogs yet. So and then I felt like everything I had seen after that, it was just trying to catch up to it. And mm. it it opened me up to that independent cinema, like really because of because of Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs, and through friends in high school and college, I found Clerks. So I found Kevin Smith. Oh, okay, yeah. I found um, the Coen Brothers. I I so I saw Fargo, The Big Lebowski, uh, Raising Arizona. You know Paul Thomas Anderson, so Boogie Nights. Wes Anderson later on with. Um, Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaum. Like, there's this whole segment of people from like that mid to late 90s, and then like Chris Nolan in the early 2000s that have like they're doing things in cinema that you haven't seen before, and certainly modern filmmaking wasn't doing. And and it's interesting now that those mm. guys are kind of like so to to go back to the Marvel and the DC thing, right? Like. I love the Marvel movies, but those movies, with a few exceptions, those movies could have been made by anybody. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. There's no indication to say, blah, 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 made that movie. Like, Black Panther might be the exception because of Ryan Coogler. Yeah. But, like, 
I, you know, I love the Russos, and I, I think the Russos did an amazing job with the two Avengers movies, with the Captain America movies. But like, anybody makes those movies really like the it machine could be. is too big for it, any one person. Yeah, and that's the whole point: is that the machine is more important than the the sum of its parts. Which is what makes Tarantino's huh. film so great is that. Well, but he is the he machine. is the machine. Like like, when you watch a Tarantino movie you know who it is in about two or three minutes. Oh yeah. And there's very few people like that left. Like Scorsese's like that. Spielberg is like that. Chris Nolan is like that. PTA. So Paul Thomas Anderson's like that. The Coens, Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson for sure. Yeah. Uh, That's it right now. I think in terms of revered directors, it's limited. Well, directors who, you know who they are like, Directors with a name. It's it's that Stanley Kubrick thing. Like when you watch a Kubrick movie, you know oh, who made it. Spike Lee. Yeah, Spike. I guess. Yeah, I forgot uh, about Spike Lee. My apologies. Um, but it's limited. We're if you want to like go the other people. way, I would say uh, Tyler Perry. Yeah. I mean, movies are what they are, but yep. You know, it's Tyler Perry. Yeah, it's a factory unto itself. I think Jordan Peele might get there. I think so too. I think Jordan Peele might get there. Certainly in the horror genre, he's getting there. Yeah, he's crushing it. God bless him. But it's still a limited amount of people. Like, the, that circle is really small. It is. Which is sad. <laughs> uh, that's the movie business. But yeah, I think that's one of the things I like about Tarantino's movies is you know who made them. And it's that thing of, like, it's an event. It's a Tarantino movie. Yeah. Like I mean, one yeah. of the things that struck me about the poster. So I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood last week. And uh, Kendra and I, my wife and I, were coming out of the theater. And the poster was outside. And the poster looks like this. The name of the movie is at the top. It says the ninth film by Quentin Tarantino underneath. And then it's Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt, and Leonardo DiCaprio. And they're not named. Mm. That's the structure of the poster. The top billing is Quentin Tarantino directing the movie. I'm not discounting that. I totally get it. And that's how, like, every poster, he, you know, Hateful Eight was the eighth. Yep. Blah, blah, blah. I get it. It's just, even over two of the biggest movie stars on earth. Yeah. It, they're marketing it as a big deal. That it's They're marketing it because it's a Tarantino movie. Yeah, which they should Good because it's him. a big deal because it only happens every couple years. He hasn't made 50 of them. He's only made nine. He might get to 10 or 11 and then stop. So, I mean, I get it. It's just even over Brad Pitt and Leonardo, Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio and Brad Pitt can't get billing over Tarantino. It's hilarious. I you know what, though? Like No issue with that. Tarantino, his ca- the casting in, those, in Tarantino's films is always fantastic. It's always yeah. either, at this point, it, there's very few people in those movies that you haven't seen before because they're all huge stars now. Well... I don't know. Once a, we can, I don't want to. I haven't seen once. Upon yeah. A time. So we're not going to talk about it really because I have. He hasn't. I don't know who in the audience hasn't. So I can comfortably talk about two thirds of the movie with no spoilers. Um, the final third of the movie I'm not going to talk about because I want everybody to to see it and experience it in their own way. That's fine. But is there so someone can, in? Is there someone cast that that I've never seen before? I can name two or three people in major roles. Yeah. 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 Andy McDowell's daughter, so the actress Andy McDowell, okay. her daughter, she was on the TV show The Leftovers on HBO. Oh, okay. So you've seen her a little bit, but in, she's in this movie, and she she plays one of the Manson uh, folks. 
she's tremendous in this movie. She's not in it a lot, a lot, but she has quite a few scenes with Pitt, and she's really, really good. Okay. Uh, funny story about the Manson f- folks in the movie. They're all children of famous people. <laughs> I don't know that he did it intentionally, I'm but sure it sure seems did. like he did. So Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke's daughter uh, is oh, one okay. of them. <laughs> Bruce Willis and Demi Moore's daughter is in it. I don't remember if she's a Manson person or not. Rumor? Rumor yeah, Willis? Rumor Willis is in the movie. Harley Quinn Smith is one of the Manson children. Yeah, that's right. Andy McDowell's daughter. So And Lena Dunham. Not this has to up. be a conscious decision. And Squeaky From is Dakota Fanning. Oh. Either Dakota Fanning or Elle Fanning. I forget which one. Mm. I think it's Dakota. So it's like these absurdly famous young actors, a lot of whom have famous parents, are in as the Manson children, which I think is kind of like a 60s thing of like a lot of those Manson kids, they were rich kids who ran away from home. Who wanted the yeah, right. 60s experience. But I mean, I've never seen... I saw a little bit of The Leftovers. It was just too dark and morose for me but like the girl from it is who's in the tarantino movie is very good um the the eight-year-old girl they cast to be in the western show that dicaprio's filming on she's like a method actor she Mm. wants to be called by her character name the whole time she's on set like she and dicaprio have a wonderful exchange that eight-year-old girl is fantastic I'm going to pull up, see if I can pull up that kid's name. I want to say it's Julie. I want to say the eight-year-old is Julia something or other. Julia Butters, maybe. Oh. And I want to say that. That's a weird last name. I want to say the Manson girl is Margaret Qualley, Patricia Qualley. She's Andy McDowell's daughter. Julia Butters. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. She's really good. Both are very good. I've never seen much of, I mean, the eight-year-old, I've never seen anything of. But, you know, I had seen a few episodes of The Leftovers. She seemed, the girl seemed okay, but. Yeah, I mean, she's eight, so she really hasn't been in a whole lot of things, but uh, 13 hours a couple years ago, and that's pretty much the only other big project, I think. They asked her about going to the premiere, and she's like, my mom took me out as soon as the violence came up, (laughs) (laughs) which is hilarious. I mean, you should. She's eight. You shouldn't experience. Yeah, 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 yeah. She got a bright future ahead. I mean, she really punched her weight with Brad Pitt. Well, here's the thing, and this isn't this isn't the first time Brad Pitt has been in a, a Tarantino movie. It is not. So, the point I was trying to make was he has Brad Pitt like on call pretty much. If he wants yeah. Brad Pitt in a movie, it sounds like Brad Pitt's going to be in the movie. Yeah. That and that's just I think that speaks to the respect that the industry has for Quentin Tarantino. Do you know who was sniffing around the Brad Pitt part before Brad Pitt got there? Who's that? Tom Cruise. I believe that. <laughs> and they were close. Cruz and Tarantino met. I think Margot Robbie was always his first choice for Sharon Tate. I, I don't think he, I don't know what the backup plan was there. If she said no, mm. she wasn't going to say no, but I don't know what the backup plan was. He claims to have a backup for DiCaprio. I've not heard one. Also not his first flick. Nope. But, you know, there's a chance that, you know, Leo's a busy guy. He picks and chooses now. He doesn't just work all the time. And the money. they Both of them had to take a pay cut. Which I don't think either really cared about. But they both did take less money to do the movie. 
I don't know how much. Because this may be the most expensive Tarantino movie ever. He got a $100 million budget. Is that right? Yep. He, the three things he fought for from Sony and got, 95 to $100 million budget, the rights to the movie revert to him after 25 years, and he got final cut with no interference. Hmm. And he got back, he got dollar one, 25% of dollar one gross. So whatever the movie makes in its openings, he gets 25% of. I think I read that it was his highest grossing opening weekend it ever was. at it like 40 million or something. Glorious Bastards by about 2 million bucks. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. This is, to be honest though, this is his most chill flick, I think. Really? Yep. Chill in what way? Uh, it's... In terms of violence? Yeah. Not until the third act. And not in the way you expect. You know, the other stuff is just movie violence. But I mean, movie... <laughs> making a movie about movie making violence. You know, it's a Western. So there's gunfights. But like, the yeah, 50s yeah, yeah. Westerns, nobody bled. Right. You know, they just staggered around and fell. There was no blood because it was the 1950s on television. There's so much about the, the movie that I, I that I just love. It's the little moments. Like Al Pacino plays like a movie producer agent who tries to get DiCaprio to go to Italy to make spaghetti westerns. The 10 minutes that Pacino's in this movie, he's hilarious. It's everything you want from Al Pacino in a Quentin Tarantino movie. Yeah, that's what's great about Tarantino's movies is there's a, it's just a series of little moments. Yep. Like Kurt Russell's in it. You just go, oh my God, it's Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. He's been in a... How many has he been in? Uh, he's been, he's in, been a in a few now. He's been in a lot. He was in uh, The Car. He was in Death Proof. Death, yep. He was in... He was in Hateful Eight. He was in Hateful Eight. So, I mean, he, this is like his third. That's crazy. Um, you know, Kurt Russell's Kurt fucking Russell. I mean, <laughs> yeah, <great>. Fucking... Okay. <laughs> I will say the most... The guy I look forward to showing up on screen most was Luke Perry, and I was not disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. I love Luke Perry, and and it ties in nicely because next Wednesday, 90210 comes back, which I, oh, I know right. if he had lived, he was going to be a part of a little bit. Dude was the coolest man on television for like five years. That's true. And when he left that show, that show went downhill real quickly. Mm. They missed him real bad. And it wasn't after like two or three episodes, because I watched it pretty much nonstop on its early run. The first episode after he left, I went, uh-oh, we got a problem. Really? It was that evident? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. He was James Dean, man. He was James Dean for the 90s. Rode in on a motorcycle with the mysterious background. You didn't know anything about it. Like, 20 years yeah, ago, he'd enough. have been DiCaprio in this movie. It was so awesome to see him. I mean, it's weird now because he's, he's not with us anymore. You know, God bless him. But I loved him on 90210. He's my favorite character. And everybody was kind of like, I mean, it's a dark theater and it's grownups. Like nobody's going to cheer or yell, but everybody <laughs> yeah. kind of like everybody in that theater of a certain age who grew up with 90210 was like, yeah, you were, you were saying something about, and he's not in it going long. to a Tarantino flick, a flick, uh, the other day and how it's almost refreshing. It is to sit it with, it was, it was to sit with grownups. Yeah. <laughs> Watch a movie, a film with grownups. Yeah. You didn't. Yeah. It was just nice. And it was nice to just, to let the movie come to you, mm -hmm. uh, to just experience it. I went in clean. I didn't want to know anything about it. I mean, I knew enough. It's a beautiful movie. Like, it's a love letter to Los Angeles from 1969, which was 
when he was growing up in LA. Right. It's, it's a love letter to B movie actors and TV Westerns and, you know, the stuff that Tarantino has been throwing at you for 30 years now. This is like his, this is everything he's ever wanted to do. I mean, and yet he's going to make one more movie. So he says, right? He wants to stop at 10, but now there's some debate as to whether if he does Star Trek. So this is not a joke. This is true. He had an idea for a Star Trek movie. J.J. Abrams and Paramount said, yeah, great. So they got the guy who wrote The Revenant to write the movie, and Tarantino is expected to direct it. So, And it's going to be an R-rated Star Trek movie. That would be his 10th movie. He said he would stop at 10, but some people have been like, but does Star Trek count? Because it's not an original 10. So, right, it has to be like, I mean, I always pictured it like a, like, not I a Tarantino presents is, kind of thing, but like he's working for some. He's working for the studio at this point. He's doing the studio's IP. He's not. He's it not is, his but it's characters. his ideas. He could come up with a plot, maybe, but like yeah. this isn't his world. No, it's not an original. My feeling was always ten originals and Star Trek and stop. That was yeah. how I always read it. I don't know if he reads it that way. Yeah, who knows? Um, but this film is a you know, it's it's truly a love letter, and again, great. Uh, a guy I love because I love the TV show Justified was Timothy Oliphant is in the movie for a little bit in, in the Western part. Timothy Oliphant's great. Like I, I love him in a Tarantino movie. It seems yeah. perfectly logical to me. Um, you know, Walton Goggins has been in a few who was the bad guy in Justified. He yep. was in Hateful Eight. He was at the end of Django. There's another guy born to be in a Tarantino movie. Um, Agreed. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And again, because this is 1969 and this is Hollywood, there are people playing famous people. So the dude who plays Bruce Lee, he's good. He's good. That was one of my favorite scenes in the movie. And I know now it's controversial. Mm. I will tell you that I did not think people were laughing at Bruce Lee because he's Asian or they were making some joke about Asian people. Mm. I think they were laughing at Bruce Lee because in the movie, he's an arrogant asshole who won't stop talking. And then without spoiling things, things go down. But like, I, I'll tell you me personally, I was not laughing at Bruce Lee because I, it was some sort of Asian racist thing. Yeah. That seems he was like saying st- funny outlandish things. What am I supposed to do? Not laugh. It seems like a bit of a stretch. Yeah. One, what am I supposed to do? Not laugh. And two, I don't know if that's how Bruce Lee really was. I wasn't alive in 1969. I was minus nine years old. <laughs> My parents weren't even married. He, they didn't think about me. I have no idea what Bruce Lee was like. I have an idea. I've read books. I've seen documentaries. I know he was cocky. He could back it up. (laughs) Fair, yeah. That's not to say he couldn't back it up, but he was cocky. So what if he got into an altercation with somebody who was not impressed? I don't know. But I don't don't think anybody in that audience was laughing because they're racist and they were making fun of Asian people. They thought it was funny. It was played for laughs. I mean, I don't think anybody took that seriously. Also, it's fucking made up. There's a great story Pitt tells about reading the script for Inglorious Bastards. He read it all the way to the end. He saw how they got rid of Hitler, and he said, can we do that? To to Tarantino, he said, can we do that? Can we kill Hitler? And Tarantino's like, it's fucking made up. We can do whatever we want. It's the movies. (laughs) I can do whatever I want. And that's kind of how I feel about it. It's when people bring up these plot points to me of like, how can they, it's a fucking movie. That's how. 
Right. It's not fucking real. I also don't need an explanation every five minutes. Agreed. I'm okay with ambiguity. I'm also okay with me trying to figure it out in my head. And whether that's the intentions the filmmaker had is irrelevant to me. It works for me. Like, I don't need exposition every five minutes. No. And I can tell you, most creators don't want to tell you how to feel or think. They, they want you to interpret. Want, they also don't want exposition because it stops the movie dead. Yeah. I watched Hateful Eight recently, um, mostly because I was trying to figure out what you didn't like about it. And the one thing I didn't care for was Tarantino's narration in, in the flick. There's a part where he, he narrates like 15 hours have passed and it's just like, yeah. I don't really care how many hours have passed. Like, um, I, I could go without knowing the exact number. You know what I mean? I thought there was a... Um, the thing I like about Tar- a lot of Tarantino's movies is it feels quick. Uh, yeah, it I has, suppose. There's a momentum to Pulp Fiction. There's a momentum to Inglorious Bastards. There's a me- mm. momentum to Django. In Kill Bill, there's momentum. In Once Upon a Time, there's momentum. Some faster than others, some slower. I was going to say, momentum in Pulp Fiction might be because it's cut up. And it's, yeah, and that's fine. There was, Hateful Eight just to me is drags. I don't love the all in one place. The thing I like about Tarantino movies is they move around. Okay. And I understand his intentions and fine. There, I don't know who I'm supposed to root for in Hateful Eight. I understand that's his intention. It just, for me, it doesn't work. Of the nine originals he's done, it's probably my least favorite. That's not to say I don't like it. Sure. There's plenty about it I like. And I like all the people in it. Yeah, they're, um, all, they're all good. Yeah, it's not, it, it is what it is. It's, it's a Tarantino movie. I don't hate it. It's just if you're asking me, it's the back of the pack for me. Mm. Yeah, no, It just fair. is. Kill Bill 2 is probably in that conversation too. I, I, yeah. It's okay. It's just one was for better. me. One was I better. I agree. Hateful Eight reminded me a little bit of Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, a little bit. And I, but which, I like which Reservoir also Dogs takes a lot. place in one ish location. And yet I like Reservoir Dogs. <laughs> Reservoir Dogs is in my top five. Interesting. My t- just so uh, we'll do it. My top five in no particular order is Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, which is a surprise to people I know. We'll get there. Inglorious Bastards, Reservoir Dogs. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Wow, yeah. Yeah. It's up there. Yeah. I never, I, my top two would be Pulp and Inglorious Bastards. I love Inglorious Bastards. I really do. That movie's great. Yeah. I, it That's is, probably in my top two. It is, and you know what? The other thing I like about Tarantino movies is if you make one or two small changes, those movies would go on to become massive giant hits. If you took the scalping out of Inglorious Bastards, as great as it is, and by the way, I'm not advocating to remove it, but I'm telling you, you took the... Sc- no pun intended. If you take the scalping out of that movie, the universe sees that movie and loves it. What kept a lot of folks away and what to this day keeps some people from it is the scalping. They just don't want to see a person have that happen to them, Nazis or not. And I understand it. Me personally, I understood what he was doing. It's also, it's his right. It didn't bother me. I mean, I don't love it, but at the same time, I was like, I get it. Christoph Waltz is, there's another guy who heard of Christoph oh, Waltz he, before that movie. Uh, yeah. He's, he's great in that movie. He's awesome. He's the best part of that movie and he's a Nazi. <laughs> yeah. Right. He's entertaining, charming, menacing, funny, serious all at once. 
another guy who's in that movie, Michael Fassbender. Yeah. Which I don't think X-Men First Class had come out yet, so I hadn't nope. seen Fassbender. Fassbender's terrific in that movie for the few moments that he's in it. Diane Kruger's great in that movie. All of the bastards are great. Eli Roth, BJ Novak, Sam Levine, all of them are good. I mean, Brad Pitt's a movie star. He understands what he needs to do. And I, I will say this. In Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, if the Academy wants to give Brad Pitt the supporting actor, I'm okay with it. Because in he was incredible in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He really imagine. was. Yeah, I can I imagine he, he was. was. excellent. It's and Brad that's Pitt. no shot against DiCaprio. Because I love Leonardo DiCaprio. I really do. Leonardo he DiCaprio. He's really good in this movie, but there's something about Brad Pitt that in this movie, actually, I know what it is. Of the two, you want to hang out with Brad Pitt. Like when you see the movie and you see the two of them, if you had to pick one to hang out with, you'd want to hang out with Brad Pitt. You just would. I haven't seen the movie. Yeah, I mean, when you do, if you do, I'd be interested on your take in your take on that. Um, I do, like I was saying about, and we're jumping around, which is a Tarantino tactic. <laughs> the guy who put so there's. Famous people all through this movie. It's Michelle Phillips, uh-huh. Mama Cass, Roman Polanski, which is interesting in this day and age. Steve McQueen. So I don't know if you watched the show Billions on Showtime. No. Or if you ever saw um, Band of Brothers. No. Uh, uh, yeah. The redhead actor, Damian Lewis. He plays Steve Damian McQueen. Damian Lewis. Yeah, he was on Homeland as well. Yeah, he's on Homeland. Um, he plays Steve McQueen. He's in it for like two, a couple minutes, but it's like, oh my God, Damian Lewis is playing Steve McQueen. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it's funny. And the way they do, Pol- Polanski barely speaks. Mm. He's not in the movie much because it's set over two days in February of 69 and then the night of the murders in August. He was out of the country when she was murdered. He was in Europe working on a movie. Who so. is saying no to being in a Tarantino flick? I mean, I don't think anybody says no. I think... Do you think it's more of a matter of scheduling? Yeah. And I mean... Yeah, I think it's a lot of it is scheduling, and sometimes, you know, the person reads, and you go for, for Quentin, and he goes, eh, okay. You know, like... I also think as much as he says he doesn't, I think he writes with people in mind. Oh, he must. I really do. Like... Could he have done this movie with Tom Cruise instead of Brad Pitt? Yeah, probably. Would it have been good? I'd love to have seen it. This is what I would say. I'd love to see it. I'd love to see what Cruise could bring to it that Pitt didn't and how Cruise would make it different because he's not Brad. And that's not it. Tom Cruise is one of my favorite actors. So that's not. So they have different energies. Brad Pitt's a little more laid back. Cruise is very much energy. Energy, energy, energy. Yeah, yeah. Watch Mission Impossible. Watch Jerry Maguire. It's energy, energy. Mm-hmm. Even in A Few Good Men, where he needs to rein it in until he gets to the last scene with Jack, Cruz is energy. That's why people like Cruz. Energy. Mm-hmm. I'd For a role that's supposed to be laid back and not the star and let DiCaprio be the star, I'd love to have seen Cruz try. I just think that when Quentin wrote this movie, he wrote for Pitt and DiCaprio. I know I he wanted Margot. I, that. I do not know who the backup was if Margot Robbie said no to Sharon Tate. 
I don't know. I'm sure he would have found somebody, though. Another of the movie controversies, which is the Sharon Tate part. Look, again, folks, I'm not going to talk about the third act. So here's what I will tell you about Sharon Tate in Once Upon a Time with Hollywood. I don't know a character that Tarantino has written that he's handled with more care, grace, and love than Sharon Tate. Margot Robbie in this movie is as close to angelic as a Quentin Tarantino (laughs) female gets. Mm. Just think about females in Tarantino's movies. Uma Thurman has a drug overdose. Uma Thurman gets buried alive. He puts Pam Greer through hell in Jackie Brown. He puts Uma Thurman through hell in Kill Bill. He, uh, Shoshana in, uh, in Glorious Bastards. Brunhilde in uh, Django. Daisy Domergo in Hateful Eight. No one has hand- is handled with more care than Margot Robbie in this movie. There is a point where basically like the light hits her and she looks like an angel. I mean, like, I don't know anybody could have handled it more lovingly. Yes, she does not speak a lot in this movie. When she does, there's care to the dialogue and she gets some very lovely moments. She really does. I don't understand, again, I don't understand why we need to yell about these things. It's a movie. It's fiction. It's made up. People just need to yell about stuff. She's not Sharon Tate. It's a fictional character. They just need to yell about stuff. And I think, again, going, speaking towards the brilliance of Quentin Tarantino, he has a way of confronting things that people don't necessarily want to be confronted with in his films. Mm -hmm. And even if it's something like the Sharon Tate murders, like... People don't want to talk about it. People don't really want to see it in well, any I mean, other way. Well, it was way. horrible. I, I mean, it, you know what? I get it, but it like, it was horrible. It happened. It's, it did. So, like, for Tarantino to be like, "Yeah, this this shit happened." Like, for Tarantino to say, "Hey, yeah, slavery happened," you know, and it wasn't all this, that, or the other thing that you saw in all the previous movies, you know. Mm-hmm. So, like, I get it. Uh, so Kendra saw it. My wife saw it. She's not the Tarantino person that I am. She liked this movie by and large. She liked the third act, which is surprising because that's where all the Tarantino-esque shit really goes down. And she liked the first part. She found the second part. They spend a lot of time with DiCaprio on the set of his Western. She didn't find that as amusing as I did. I love that shit. I love the like how movies get made shit. I'm a sucker. I used to love DVD commentary. Like the behind the scenes documentaries and how they do this and the old Hollywood stories of who cast who here. I love it. I love that shit. I can't get enough of it. That's why this movie was 100% in my wheelhouse. DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, 1969, Westerns, behind the scenes Hollywood. I don't know what they could do more to get me to like it. I don't know that the movie entirely was what she expected. I was surprised she agreed to come see it with me, quite frankly. I expected to go by myself, which I had no problem with. Because I was going with or without her, lovingly. She knew that. Because I like seeing his movies in the theater. He likes you to see them in the theater. (laughs) He does. Especially at the movie theater he owns in 35mm print. It was nice. After like... I've seen a lot of succession of superhero movies and Disney movies and all that. And all that's great. It's just every now and then I can't eat steak all the time. Yeah. I need chicken. Yeah. We've talked about this. I need a salad every now and then. I just, you do. You just can't eat the same stuff all the time. And I'd seen in succession in the theater. I've seen Captain Marvel, the Avengers twice and Spider-Man. I needed a break from 
that okay. routine. You don't you don't have to justify it to no, me. No, it's just it's, I get it. It's it's how I felt. It's it's part of the thing. It's just I needed something else. I wanted to go to the movies, but I couldn't do that. That's fair. I mean, do I want to see The Lion King? Yeah, but I'm probably going to see it at home. I think it's interesting that Tarantino's looking at directing something like Star Trek because... Well, he loves Star Trek. His films, though, like, almost everything he does is so non-digital. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, he gets Greg Nicotero to do a lot of the special effects stuff. Yep. Greg Nicotero... Oh, he shoots on film. He'll never from, shoot digital. Uh, Dawn of the Dead. Yep. George Romero's zombie flicks from like way back. And he does yep. all this. He directs like The Walking Dead now and stuff. Yep. But his his special effects are always very like tactile and kind of old school. Yep. Right up Tarantino's alley. So it's just interesting to me that he would sign on to do something like Star Trek, which is like. Was oh, he going to shoot Star Trek 100% on 35 millimeter film? It's, that's what I'm we'll saying. Find out. It's like 100% in front of a green screen. It's like. Well, I mean, Chris Nolan shoots know. on film. He shot Batman on film. Yeah, that's fine. I get it. But like, I don't think Chris Nolan has the same res- like outspoken reservations of oh, this format does. versus this format. Oh, Chris Nolan does. You bet he does. Chris Nolan. Do you know what he called Netflix the other day? What's that? Direct to video. Well, it is. It is, but like nobody thinks of it that way. Yeah. Like mm. the inter- the article, I, the interview I read with Nolan was interesting. He said, when I was coming up as a filmmaker... If you if what you shot went direct to video, it was a de- it was death. Yeah, no, it's definitely it was, got a black mark. It was not what you wanted. He's like, now we do the exact same thing with Netflix, but Wall Street thinks we're being innovative. Like it was not positive. Well, you know what it is is yeah, there was a there was negative connotations to direct to video because it was as deemed, there should be. They were garbage. It was deemed not good enough for the theater, right? But I mean, today yes. you don't have to pay the theater. Like you don't have to pay any middlemen. You can just. Yes. Put it out there. So like, yeah, it's just a different time. I'm sorry. But um, he, Chris Nolan didn't retrofit theaters across the globe to show his fucking Western movie. You know what I mean? I would. Here's what I would say. <laughs> like, here's he what I would insist say. insist on showing it. Tarantino the- retrofitted, Tarantino fitted movie theaters who wanted that. He did it. But if they wanted to show it in, if they wanted to show it other ways, I don't, he is after all a capitalist. He wants the movie seen. Is well, it his yeah. desire to see it on digital? But those nope. theaters had to wait. Yes. Nobody's waiting now. I saw it on digital. I don't, at least I don't think. I'm fairly confident when I went to Burlington last week, I didn't see it on some crazy screening because mm-hmm. the ticket was cheap. Yeah. My sense is if I saw it on 35 millimeter film, it would have cost me more money. Maybe. Simply because Burlington doesn't have film projectors anymore. The whole fucking theater yeah. is digital. Yeah, most theaters are. Because everybody, minus Tarantino, Chris <laughs> Nolan, and a few others, yeah. <laughs> shoot digital. Shoot on digital because it, it doesn't degrade. It costs less to upgrade. The problem with film is it up it degrades. It takes longer to degrade. It does degrade. It doesn't last as yeah. long, and you need it needs a lot of upkeep um, film over does. time. Yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas digital doesn't because it's digital. I don't care about this stuff. I, to me, it's just you're arguing about semantics. I just mm. want to see the movie. I saw it and I have lived long enough to see theaters go from film to digital. I don't think I care that much. Mm. Me personally. I don't think I care that much. Tarantino does because he's a snob and a nerd about this stuff. Great. Yeah. We all have our thing. That's what it comes down to. We it's all just, have our thing. He's just nerdy about it. I wasn't paying extra him. to see a 70 millimeter print of Hateful Eight. 
I, I just wasn't. In defense, nor was I for this movie either. I will say, you know, we can say, well, it's a different time. I, I get all that. I don't know. I'm always uncomfortable. The Netflix thing sometimes just makes me uncomfortable. The algorithm. When do you get out of the algorithm? Why would you ever get out of the algorithm? How would you ever experience anything different? The algorithm, the way Netflix works, if I'm to understand the, the AI behind it all, is they're looking at what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. And then what they throw at you of like, hey, you could be watching this, this is what's new, is geared toward what you're watching. Yeah. Which is why my wife and I share a Netflix profile and I get inundated with true (laughs) crime shows. Yeah. I don't watch true crime shows. You got to set up separate profiles, my friend. Well, (laughs) yes, but what if I don't want in, what if I don't want what they're throwing at me? I mean, I can find it. I get it. But like, I think a lot of people stay in the algorithm and I don't want to stay in the algorithm. You wouldn't, you know what you just described though? The internet. Yeah. You just described the internet on, on a whole. Everyone's tracking every single thing you yep. look at, click, oh, or otherwise. I'm f- and that's the world I live in. And then I'm, advertising is geared towards it. I'm just, just saying, what though, it is. but I'm just saying, though, if you looked at my movie theater preferences over the last year, like if, if the Burlington Cinema and the Woburn Cinema acted as an algorithm, do you know what I would I'd get offered every month? I'd get offered Disney. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I could go see another movie, yeah, but pretend I all I wanted to do was live in the algorithm. I've plugged into the matrix. All I'd get is Disney. Mm. I'd never see Tarantino. I'd never see, um, I just, shit. Would I even see fast and the furious? I don't know. That's just not what I want. That's not on. Honestly, that's not what I want from movies. And I know I've been on the podcast for the last year and I joke about the Disney thing. Listen, I love Disney. They have my money. They know it. It's fine. I'm going to get Disney Plus. I'm going to watch the Star Wars movies. I'm going to do the Marvel thing. I'm going to the theme park in a year or two. Fine. Whatever. I have no problem with it. I love Disney. They're one of the few corporations that have my entire life in their (laughs) digital files that I'm okay with because it's for my amusement. They're not selling me something I don't already want to buy. It's a mutual transaction. There you go. They know I want to buy it. I know they want to sell it to me. Everybody goes home happy. It's a small world after all. Fine. But if I were living in the algorithm and all it was was superhero movies and Fast and the Furious, how would I have ever seen The Godfather? How would have I have ever found Chinatown or The Untouchables or uh, James Bond or Tarantino or Kubrick or Scorsese or blah, blah, or Woody Allen or blah, 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 blah. I wouldn't. And I, that, that troubles me. I like the idea of going to the movies and there being different things. I like that you could go to the movies now and see the Lion King if you wanted to. You can see Spider-Man if you wanted to. You can see Tarantino if you want to. I don't like that adult, adult entertainment now has, is solely the propriety of streaming services. I don't like it. It bothers me. Do you think... uh, There needs to be more variety. I think if you think Disney doesn't have their own algorithms, though... Of course they do. Whatever. um, 
here's how, what I would say, because I agree with you. Uh, it, I obviously I agree. It's it's good to experience and try new things. Um, it's one of my big qualms with something like Spotify, which is also built on algorithms. Yes, I listen to the like the daily mix or whatever. Yep. Um, it's the same songs like pretty yep. much all the time. Yep. And it reminds me of what we've lost. And, and I don't know if I don't know if anyone has ever gone to a movie theater. I'm sure this has happened. And looked at the marquee and be like, well, "What movie do we want to see tonight?" That would be great if we you know all could I mean? live like that. But like it, it reminded me more of going into a record store because I buy record, I buy vinyl records. Yes, and going in and like looking through them and seeing something that just sparks your interest. Just you yes. don't know what it sounds like. Even yes. you're not looking for anything in particular. You just see something that's like, "Oh, this could be interesting." Maybe you flip it over and see like what a little bit of what it's about, who's on it or whatever. Maybe you buy it. Maybe you don't. Maybe you just found your new favorite band. That doesn't happen so much with Spotify, with Netflix, with nope. internet advertising today. None of it. And it, it, it bothers me on a couple of levels. One on a personal level, I am not an algorithm. <laughs> <laughs> no, but your data, your data to care feed about the, the algorithm. I don't care. I'm just, I'm not an algorithm. I'll see what I want and do what I want. Sometimes I want to watch a comedy special. Sometimes I want to watch the toys that made us. Sometimes I want to watch a Disney movie. Sometimes I want to watch shit blow up. And <laughs> yeah. sometimes I want to watch shit blown up by Quentin Tarantino. Legit. Right. So I'm not an algorithm. I'll have to say the algorithm isn't speaking to Netflix in particular. The algorithm that they use is, is hit or miss for me. You know, I scroll through some of the recommendations and I'm like, oh yeah, that looks interesting. I'll watch that. And I click add to watch list or whatever. Maybe in three years I'll fucking watch it. But sometimes it's like, the, you know, it has the, the ratings. Like this is a 97% yeah. match or whatever. Yeah. Sometimes I see something I that's like, that. sometimes I see something and it's like 98% hmm, match. And I'm like, but I don't want to watch that like at all. Right. I'm looking at this thing here and I don't, that doesn't look like it interests me. Or I'll see something that's 57% interest. And I'll be like, oh, I saw, I've already seen that. I fucking love that. Right. So, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's hit or miss for me, but I totally understand the idea of... I just think too many people live in the algorithm. It's easy. They don't stray from... Yeah, but that's... Yeah. That's why we are where we are. Yeah, it is. Nobody leaves the algorithms. And that's the problem. Did you know that data is the most highly traded commodity in the world now. I believe Beyond it. oil and coffee. Yeah, I it believe goes, it. It goes data, oil, coffee. Over oil. Yeah. Which the whole world was pretty much, the whole civilized world was built on. I know. It's not going to be what, It's not going to be what the civilized world is built on going forward. It is not. One, because there's less and less of it every day. That's right. Two, not enough, but most people have woken up to the fact that oil is killing the planet. Yeah. So we've got to do this differently. <laughs> yeah. But do you know what's never going to go away? Data. Right. Yeah. I mean, I knew you knew that because you're a sharp. Of course. Sharp. No, I mean, it's market. It's your hyper precious, marketing. Your precious you know I mean? coffee. Yeah. There's less and less of it every day. There is. It's prone to all kinds of diseases. Climate change affects it. Yep. Absolutely. Chocolate. Yep. Same deal. Beef. Dairy in general. I mean, I know now we're all. Reverse. I'd say beef is cyclical. Cyc cyclical. No, I think, I mean, cattle raising 
exacerbates the, climate change. The way we do beef in this country is awful. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It, it exacerbates climate change, which then in turn, yeah. you know, so. But I mean, data's not going anywhere. Data's not going anywhere. Never has been. It's just collected in a more modern way. No, we're all yeah. living in, I really believe now it's capitalism. Well, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's capitalism. It's capitalism run amok. But with no thought of what with no it's capitalism with no thought of consequences. Well, now, yeah. which I guess is capitalism. I mean, if capitalism you is, don't think about consequences. Now we're starting to see consequences. I mean, you we you and I both lived that last election, last presidential election. That was data collection used to manipulate the world order. Not to sell you something. No, to sell you government and it didn't just happen here no it did not it happens everywhere but it's been very effective in two places so if if people are cognizant of that fact is separate to if they'll bother to do anything about it i really now think blade runner is a documentary i'm not saying <laughs> yes. this as a joke someone yeah i'm taking blade <laughs> runner out of science fiction it's now a documentary I think we're going to oh, live it. Wouldn't that be some shit if... I think yeah. we're going to live it. Maybe not you and me, but like my niece and nephew are going to live it. And yes. I'm not sure that makes me happy. No, that's fucking terrifying. I really... Th <laughs> I thought the whole point of Blade Runner was like, this is where we could go. Don't do it because look how horrible life is. No, but you know, it always sparks that one person who's like, well, what if we did? Well, I think we were going there anyway. But I, the whole point of the look of Blade Runner, the feel of it is like, is this how you want to live? Mm. And we have ch we've opted in. We've chosen that. I can't fucking believe yeah, that's all that's missing is the flying car, Every, which is coming anyway. Their company down the road is working, working on the on flying it. car. We're a flying car away from living in Blade Runner. We're bat. Well, we're like 20 years of climate change and a flying car away from Blade <laughs> yeah. Runner. That's fucking yeah. horrible. It is. It's horrifying. That's not how I want to live. I've seen way too many sci-fi flicks and, and shows or whatever that involve taking someone's intelligence persona character and putting it into someone else into uh, whether it's a copy or a different body okay that that we're gonna get there and that fucking terrifies me do you consider me a radical no okay if you want to see me become one let's build ai mm. i am against artificial until i cannot begin to tell you how frightening the prospect of that is mm. i think it is truly the worst idea we could unleash it will not go well. And I don't need to tell you that. There are about 30 books. <laughs> it's, yeah. How many science fiction movies do you need to see to know this ain't going to go well? And I, I understand people are going, well, it's fiction. Yeah, except yeah, for it's now. Not. For now, it's fiction. Except until it happens. It's not. Fiction is just fiction until it happens. And we talked about this a couple years ago. Facebook built the, the robot that had its language. What happened? After a while, it's, it created its own language that nobody understood. Yeah. <laughs> and I understand it didn't, it wasn't ill-intended to do it that. It was benign. Yeah. Okay. Well. For now. <laughs> what's the next logical step once it builds its own language? If you build it in the image of human beings, we tend to not like people who don't sound and look like us. Mm. And it tends to end badly. Like, I, I cannot tell you how against artificial intelligence I am. I think it's a horrible idea. I really do. And I realize I've let it into my home because we have one of those stupid Alexas. Yeah. And I have Siri yeah. on my phone. I get all that. 
Look, I get all that. I'm just telling you, this idea of let's build replicants is a really bad idea. Mm. It won't end well. It won't go well. And in fact, Stephen Hawking, before he died, was like, yeah, if we build AI, we've killed ourselves. And he's a majillion times smarter than I am. Like, that's where the argument begins and ends. The, one of the most brilliant men to ever walk the planet <laughs> yeah, was like, gonna listen to anybody. Please don't do that. Don't listen to us. Listen to Stephen Hawking. You want to build the flying car? Build the flying car. You want to build the hologram of Tupac? Build the hologram of Tupac. I'm all for it. Go with God. Building robots with human emotion, human feeling, and human intellect is a horrible idea. I got to tell you, though, those, those, those holograms that now tour the U.S., Ronnie James Dio, Tupac, they're built with AI. I understand. They're built using likely expressions, likely nuanced Does it mean it needs to come to life and come into my house well. and be around me every minute of every day and make potentially life or death decisions? <laughs> I'm sorry. No, there's a difference yeah. between the touring hologram. Yeah, yeah. And fucking Rutger Hauer and Blade Runner. There's oh, a difference. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm one small step, though. I'm passingly okay with the hologram. If people, hey, if people want to pay money to go see a hologram, by yeah, all means, go why ahead. not? It's the world we live in. Yes. I'm against Jurassic. I, I am <laughs> against Jurassic. Like in the Jurassic Park movie, it's yeah. me and Jeff Goldblum. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't want to spoil the most recent one. But he makes a very sizable case for letting those dinosaurs die. And in that movie theater, I loudly went, yep. <laughs> yep. I'm all for it. Unapologetically. It's a horrible idea. It is a bad idea. It is a very, very bad Which idea. Which means someone is going to do it. You'd hope not. The movie showed you the consequences. Yeah, I, I mean... Someone will tell you it's only one potential outcome. It's not. It is the only potential. <laughs> I, I guarantee some. I mean, I don't know where they're at with DNA at this point, but like, Neither do I. I guarantee someone is working on bringing a dinosaur back to life. I hope not. It's a really stupid idea. I remember like when I was in high school, there was a lot of I don't talk about live forever. Like, I, resurrecting I, I, like the woolly mammoth and everyone was like, why the idea. fuck would you resurrect a woolly mammoth? It's a horrible idea. So, I mean, it's got to be on someone's mind. They had their chance. You know? They weren't killed by de deforestation. <laughs> Dinosaurs had had their chance. And nature targeted them for extinction. And it should go that way. Hey, I agree, Jeff Goldblum. I mean, it's a bad idea. And it's, it's what the Jurassic Park movies are about. It's the illusion yeah. of control. Yeah. You don't have the control over those things you think you have. You don't. And when you lose control, bad things happen. Yeah, it There's reminds no me. control. You know a movie I don't like, but is sort of relevant to what we're talking about? iRobot. Yeah, I didn't like it either, but like it's it become either. more relevant by the minute. Right? <laughs> I mean, not Blade Runner relevant, <laughs> but close. It's, it's seeming more and more like a realistic scenario. It's a horrible idea. <laughs> I, can, I just can't begin to describe what a horrible idea that is. And I'm saying that in 2019 where I'm surrounded by horrible ideas every day. Legit. We have enough bad ideas out there. I, I don't need another one. And, and we don't need this. Like I was at the liquor store the other day and I saw cases of hard seltzer. That's a bad idea. 
<laughs> but but you know what? I was going to go more with like continuing to abuse the planet. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, that too. Elect people with no vision and no sense of self-worth, no sense of self, no sense of duty, honor, or dignity. Mm. It's a little heavy. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah. It's, a, I mean, this is a, the whole argument about movies and Netflix. It's all part of the, the world we live in is changing really, really quickly and it's having consequences. And I, the biggest consequence in the movie thing is it's making the movie less a communal experience and more an individual experience. And I understand. I like seeing movies at home too. I can pause it. I can go to the bathroom. I'm not beholden to their concession prices. There's food here. I, I understand all the reasons and it's not like I'm a, I'm not a Luddite. I watch movies at home too. Like I, I get it, but yeah, I like the communal experience. I'll also say that there's, um, you know, I, I know we've talked about that communal experience before, but I'll also say there are some things and, and this, this is kind of in Tarantino's wheelhouse. There are some things that you put on film that just don't translate to a small screen. So if he wants to show his movie in some ultra fucking wide ass format, you know, good for him. But like anyone who watches a movie on a movie theater screen has a different experience as to watching it on a tablet. I have to say, I saw Inglorious Bastards in a crowded movie theater the weekend it opened. And, you know, we were all, everybody was laughing in the same places and we all experienced, it was fun. Sometimes we watch um, TV shows at home all the time, actually. And oh, yeah. I find myself laughing at things and I look over and my wife's not laughing at them. And I'm like, oh, mm. it's just me then. <laughs> Again, I, I, occasionally I like the communal experience. Yeah. I don't mind. You know, nobody has to like everything that I do. That's not the way this works. I understand people didn't like the movie or don't like his movies or whatever. I th- what I throw out is the people who make a judgment before they see it. Yeah, I don't I don't agree with that. What him. I throw out is making a judgment before you see it, one. And two, the shit like that came out this week. And I it's brand it's uh Bruce Lee's daughter and I respect her. And I, I understand. And I'm not I'm not an ethnic person in the world. I'm a white man. Like I'm I'm the least put upon group of people on the planet. I get that. I just I consider myself a liberal. <laughs> I consider myself somebody who's cognizant of trying not to minimize belittle people for non-character traits. I I just don't believe that's what Tarantino was doing. I don't think I he really was don't. Yeah. Cuz again, it's a movie. The name of the movie is Once Upon a Time. That means it's fiction. No true story starts with the words Once Upon a Time. <laughs> it's true for a yeah. thousand years <laughs> that has been the keynote to that is a fictional story it's a, it's a fa- it's the trope of a fairy tale followed closely in length time and popularity by a long time ago in a galaxy far far away yeah same deal don't you think his daughter's a little bit uh has a little bit of a subjective opinion though again saying i, I i'm a white man in america but like uh. Straight. Don't forget straight white. Man. Right. Yeah. All those things. Don't you think that like, yeah, of course the guy's daughter is going to have something to say, like regardless of skin color. Well, we live in the era of everybody has something to say. Yeah, that's true. 
What was there was I was watching and I hate to be like you know Grandpa Simpson <laughs> you know old man yells no, at clouds no. like I'm not trying to do that I'm really not it's just I read the thing this week and I just threw my hands up and I just went Dude, I give I, up I went on Twitter last week and they <laughs> had give up. they had the two democratic debates right and on the second democratic debate before the fucking thing even started Joe Biden and Kamala Harris met at center stage, shook hands, and Joe Biden says something to the effect of, go easy on me, kid. And Twitter fucking lost it on him. He was like outraged that he said kid. And I thought to myself, that's how Joe Biden talks to him. Not a big deal, guys. Not a big fucking deal. Like, that's an expression I use all the time. Me too. How many times do I use kid at work? All the time. Like, no one means anything by that. You know? No one's belittling anybody. I mean, oftentimes and, the and, people I'm talking to are younger than me. And she's younger than him. Yes. He probably calls a lot of people kid. He's kind of old. Joe Biden is a man out of time now. Yeah, a little bit. I like Joe Biden. Like, for, for better or worse. Yeah. I like Joe Biden. I really do. But I just think he's a man out of time. I just... Yeah. He's Captain America. Like, he's he's fallen <laughs> into the ice. He's thought out in a world he doesn't understand. Like... Yeah, well, when everyone, he li- yeah, he's trying to make a case for himself in a time where everyone picks apart everything he says and does. And nobody wants you know him to I mean? make a case because he's the old white guy. And he's, yeah, no one wants him to make the case. Yeah, I know. I, I would just tell you that I have not watched a minute of those things. Uh, Four years ago, everyone was wanting Biden to be president. I though. don't need like, 30 people yelling at me. <laughs> like, I'm just, also, there are so many people on those stages who I can't uh, realistically take seriously. Uh, there's one person on that stage I really want no one to take seriously, but I mm. fear that she will grow. And that does it be... sounds like Arian Williams. Yeah, <laughs> she's the fucking worst, man. I she... mean, I'm, I we have tried very hard to keep this podcast apolitical for a lot of reasons. Sure. One, neither Sean nor I want to talk about this stuff all the time. God, she's a fucking cartoon character, though. I'm just going to say the Democrats have one mission. (laughs) Yeah. I'm only going to, and this is my one and only time talking about this to the Democrats. You have one fucking job, which is to get Donald Trump out of the white house. And I'm going to say this aside from her, I'm not sure I care which one of you does it because I'm willing to take my chances. Yeah, sure. Now, Am I going to love having to vote for Bernie Sanders? No, I won't. I'm more centrist than probably Alexandria Ocasio-Ortez wants me to be, and that's fine. So I'm not going to love voting for Bernie Sanders. Will I? Yeah, because I'm not fucking voting (laughs) for Donald Trump. Uh, Yeah, of course, yeah. Do I love the idea that Elizabeth Warren could be president? Yes. Do I think it's going to be difficult? Yeah, I think it would not be easy. I'll vote for her. I'll hate it less than voting for Bernie. I like Mayor mm. Pete. Sure. I like Kamala Harris. I like Joe Biden. Sure. Yeah. I'll take, you know, I like Beto O'Rourke. I'll roll the dice with some of these people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because they're not Donald Trump. Because you're all going to come around. Uh, you're all going to land within five feet of each other on most issues. Yeah. I don't believe there is a giant gulf between Bernie Sanders and Kamala Harris when it comes to most issues. If they're not spending every minute trying to get rid of him, then I I don't know what we're doing here. And it's Mm. not going to be policy that does it. I don't know what does, but 
my Medicare plan is better than you is not getting it done. <laughs> yeah. That's a surefire way for the large orange man to continue to be a presence in our lives for another four years. Yep. The only way you're going to ever do it is if you appeal to the people that he's appealing to in a way that... You ain't doing it through my Medicare plans better than you. No, because those people don't want to be forced into doing anything, which is totally understandable. So, like, don't force people into doing something. You might have a wider audience. I don't know. And you don't need to rip each other apart to do it. You're just going to make that person's life 30 times harder. Yeah. I hate that there's 50 people running. I hate this whole shooting match. I do too, but it was inevitable. When I, when the opponent is Donald Trump, you were going to have 50 people fucking running. I hate this whole shooting match. Yeah. I would like some of these people to depart and take their parting gift. Like the former governor of Colorado. Hickenlooper? Yep. It's about time he exits stage the, left with a home gift. The former beer guy? It's, uh, it's about time that he get the home version of our game. Yeah. He, yeah. He's kind of a dud. Do you think? Yeah. Is de Blasio, was Bill de Blasio in these debates? The sure was. The, there's another guy. He's another guy. Don't. Gotta go. Not interested. Maybe take your chances in Albany. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Somebody's coming out of that pack that I'm going to vote for. I'd like to not really have to hold my nose to do it. <laughs> not Marion Williams. I, I can't stand her. <laughs> and if she becomes yeah. a thing, I give up. I'm, I'm moving to Canada or something. I'd like to think not. I'd like to think that she'll... Here's my fear. Wither and die. Here's my fear. Not literally. No, my fear is that people are going to find her funny and we're going to start covering her. That's the problem. And that's the problem that we had with Donald Trump. Yeah. They thought he was funny and they didn't take him seriously. They didn't take him seriously. And no one is taking her seriously, yet she's getting so much fucking coverage. Here's the problem. It's 2020. We should all know better. Yeah. Or 2019. We should all know better now. You can't not take people seriously. I've tried to make it a point not to... This isn't cute. Not to react to some things. Oh, I like, don't. Like Donald Trump. I think... Oh, what, I blocked him on Twitter. Good for you. But like, I think people really need to stop reacting to things and start talking about actual ideas and not just react to some cutesy thing someone said on stage. You know what I mean? Like, mm. it's not going to happen because we don't live in that time and Twitter's fucking anarchy. So, <laughs> but, but if someone were to go to like one of these candidates website, God forbid, and actually like look at their ideas instead of just watching them on TV, trying to argue with someone else, like actually go to their mm. website and look at what they actually want to say to you, but can't because they're too busy defending themselves doing X, Y, Z. Do you remember back to the future one? I do. When uh, Christopher Lloyd says to Michael J. Fox, all right, future boy, so who's the president in your time? Yeah. And he says, Ronald Reagan. <laughs> and Christopher Lloyd throws a nutty. Yeah, because it's, it's it, He's like the actor? The actor. Right. He's like, I suppose, who's the treasury? Jerry Lewis? And then he sees <laughs> uh, Marty McFly's, uh, the video camera, the portable video camera. And he gets the light bulb off and he goes... I now understand why Ronald Reagan is president. And that's why you might have been in the room when we were talking with some friends of ours and I had said, you know, if The Rock ran for president, I'm not sure I would not vote for the guy. And the person sitting down said, we need a person with ideas. We need smarts. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, I think that era has passed. And how I know that error is passed is if Barack Obama was about 20% less charismatic, he'd be the most popular constitutional law professor in Harvard. 
Yes. You're right. He'd be the he'd be the head of the Harvard he'd be the head of the Harvard Law School. Listen, here's my feeling. He'd about have a very charming legal practice. The president in of the United States. It's a lot of it's a lot of shit to put on one person. No one is going into that job. Not even Donald Trump is going into that job and doing it themselves. Right, but the they, idea that you have to you can't be good on television and be president now. They is have to ridiculous. do it. They have to do it. One of my teachers used to always say, uh, "It's not DIY. It's DIWO. Do it with others." Kinda. You need someone who knows who the others should be, who the other people in the room should be. Yeah. And if, and if it's not your idea, that's fucking fine. As long as it came from a credible place or uh, a place with multiple people in the room who can all agree on something, your job is to fucking sell it. Mm. The rock can sell me anything. Yes. So, so could Barry. So could Ronald Reagan. So I am so could not, I am not opposed to, entertaining the idea of a Dwayne Johnson presidency. I'm not. And if his slogan isn't the people's candidate, I don't know what we're doing here. <laughs> I, I would just say that um, the idea that you could be president now and not be good on television is impossible. It's been rendered. It's all imp- it is. It's been rendered impossible since 1960. Yeah, absolutely. When people said Richard Nixon lost the debate and it was people who watched him on television. And the people on radio thought Nixon won. Who won the presidency? I mean, what are we doing here? If I not- mean, illegal voting and all that other stuff. I'm a history major too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But Kennedy, by and large, won the presidency because of a televised debate that people thought he won because he wore makeup because he was camera ready and Richard Nixon wasn't. Yep. The people who have won the presidency, as much as it pains me to say about some people, oh, well, they, they were... They were camera ready. Bill Clinton was camera ready. Nothing, I know it's if not ridiculous ratings. to think that Baba would be TV ready, but he was. So was Ronald Reagan. So was George W. Bush. So was Barry. Barack Obama's TV ready. Oh, absolutely. You know who wasn't? Al Gore. Correct. He bored the people to death. You know who wasn't? Hillary. Sorry to say. Agreed. No, I agree. You know who was? Donald Trump. Yeah, we know. We know. This this politics conversation has gone on longer than I would like. Yeah, so it's greatly I think depressed me. I think we've... Uh, I now have to drink heavily. We've come to a, a, a conclusion, I think. Unless there's anything else you want to talk about. Yeah, so I guess what I would say is that just... Um, I hope people uh, give the uh, Once Upon a, Ho- a Time in Hollywood a chance. Um, you know, if you're a Tarantino fan, if you're a movie fan, if you're a Brad Pitt fan, if you're a Leonardo DiCaprio fan, if you're a Margot Robbie fan, give it a chance. Go out and see it on a Friday or a Saturday night in a group with friends with a, at a movie theater. Get dinner afterwards, get drinks, get dessert afterwards and talk about it. And if you do... Uh talk to us about it because i'd like to know what people think about it i'm always interested Uh, especially because i've i've seen it and i kind of feel like i'm in a vacuum i'm one of the few people around who's seen it so i've started talking to myself about it (laughs) really depressing considering i i kind of agree with myself yeah so give us a give us a call our phone number uh you know what i'd love to hear too yeah tell me what tarantino movies you like oh yeah sure or what you don't like that's fine too controversy creates cash (laughs) <laughs> you have amen. Uh, 
1878. I feel like we're FM radio now. Well, I mean, this is the FM radio of our time. We're given the contest you know? line. This is kind of it. So yeah, let us know what you think. Uh, call or text 857-264-1878. Email is wantedbynoneshow at gmail.com and socials, all the socials. The Facebook, the Instagram, and the Twitter. Yeah. You yeah, can find us. We don't have a TikTok or a Snapchat and never will. Wanted by none pod. That's where you can find us. Until next time, I am Sean Beecham, along here with my partner in pod. I haven't said that in a while. Uh, Jeff Garoni. Word. Word. <laughs>